Welcome to the Charlotte Business Podcast, the podcast where business owners in and around the Charlotte, North Carolina area share their stories, their struggles, and the obstacles they overcame in growing their business to success. We hope these stories are an inspiration to others wanting and trying to start their own businesses and give consumers a better understanding of our local business community. I am your host, Sebastian McShane. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this episode, we talk with a friend of mine who has a remarkably interesting story. William Wilson is a guy who dreams it and does it and does not let anything hold him back. He is an honored Navy man, honored NASCAR guy, and now he makes suits for some of Hollywood's biggest names. He shows that if you really want something in life and you put forth the effort, you can achieve your dreams. Nothing will hold you back. He is one of those people who just does not have the I can't do it mentality. When he decides he wants to do something, he doesn't let anything stand in his way. He is a unique person and someone I am proud to call my friend. So let's get on with the podcast and meet William Wilson. So, how you doing, William? It's been a while since we chatted. I know, right? Yeah, it's been a minute, man. I'm good. It's just been, it's been crazy. Yeah, it has. You've been busy with with your own podcast, which has been pretty good. I don't listen to every one of them, but I, I catch them every now and again. Hey, I appreciate the support. Yeah. Got my, um, got my mask. Yeah. <laughs> got to have my mask. My, my head is looking crazy. They give me a haircut. I'm actually in the parking lot of my barber right now. Cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Um, my name is William Wilson. I'm a celebrity clothing designer, uh, former NASCAR champion. I was a jack man in the truck series. Um, from a little town called Gregory, Arkansas, man. It's about there's probably more people on my floor than live in my that live in the town I grew up in. <laughs> Old but, country boy. But, yeah, man. That's yeah. I tell people all the time. I'm just a country boy from Arkansas, man. Just yeah. I believe in good old just regular. I believe in humanity, just treating people right, showing empathy to people. You know. Just try to make the world better. Cool. So what was life growing up for you up there in Arkansas? In retrospect, man, so much easier than it is growing up in the city. Really? Because, like, everybody like everybody knew everybody. Like, all the families knew each other. So, like, if you were, like, if you did something wrong at your neighbor's house, your neighbor handled that. But yeah. your parents expected it all. But if, if your friend did something crazy at your house, you know, your parents handled that, but people understood that. They respected each other. You know, everybody kind of raised their kids the same. So if you saw somebody out 9, 10, 30 at night doing something crazy, they would call your parents be like, hey, I saw William out doing his whatever stuff, you know. So it was just a lot better because people knew each other. You trusted each other. You know, a lot of stuff you have to worry about in the city, you don't have to really worry about in the country, at least when I grew up. Yeah, cool. So uh, what, growing up for you, what would you say was your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? I mean, you got to look, I, I grew up in a pre-internet era, so information wasn't always readily available. And I grew up in a farm town, mm-hmm. so it's not like, you know, so like, again, information, stuff like this wasn't always available. I grew up around a bunch of farmers, just, you know, factory workers. So my mom worked at the cert factory, she worked at the at greeting card factory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so just one of those, this, it was just, it's great because it's just normal hard work in America. But you never really saw like those really successful people 
growing up. So having access and availability to the people that were doing really big things wasn't always available to you. Okay. So how did uh, you end up doing really big things? I mean, you didn't start out doing clothing. Uh, you started construction, right? Talk about. Well, I was in, I was in the Navy. Right. And then I was in construction. I worked for construction. I worked for John Wheeler Homes. So worked in construction. And after 9-11, I was one of the last people they hired. So you know how that goes. Last yeah. thing, first out. So, That's it. <laughs> so, um, you know, 9-11 happened to market, you know, kind of crashed. So I was one of the first ones. I was a casualty of 9-11. I was in North Carolina. And I went to work for a framing company. I pretty much had a job two minutes after they said they let me go. Before I got out of the parking lot, I already had another job. I literally drove from there and went straight to my new job Wow! <laughs> in the parking lot. And I did that for a while, helped grow that company, and I started my own company. And like I said, got involved with NASCAR, so I was running my company and doing NASCAR at the same time. So how did you get involved in NASCAR? Well, when I was with the other construction company, uh, John Whelan, some, I went to a race with some friends of mine, and we had this ARCA race. We going to qualify, they had an ARCA race before the – qualifying started matter of fact ryan newman set the track record that night so you know, i went and just watched this one i mean i want to get involved with nascar this seems pretty cool mm-hmm. and the guys i were with were like look will look around you so i looked around me and the only people i saw that looked like me had event staff on their shirt <laughs> so real talk but you know sometimes it's smart to not know anything yeah you know, I live in, I'm in North Carolina. You know, a lot of times the work jobs I was doing up in Mooresville. And at that time, the only shops that weren't in Mooresville was Hendrick, Roush, and uh, MPV, MPV, which was, um, I mean, MB2, MPV, which was uh, Kenny Schrader and Johnny Benson. Their shops were there. But, you know, everybody else was all in Mooresville, pretty much in the same three-block radius. So I just went, I just, I put up a training program, just knocking on a bunch of doors, man. And I, obviously driving didn't work out for me, but long story short, I was able to give me a gig as a Jackman the next year. Mm-hmm. Just went on practice on my own when nobody knew it. I just took a shot and just was in the right place at the right time. And you ended up getting an award for your job as, with NASCAR, didn't you? Well, well, not so much, I mean. I I won championships, <laughs> but you no, know, that's the big award. But I ended up finding out much later that I was the first African American pit crew guy in history to win a championship. Wow! But because I didn't, like I knew my rookie year, I was the only black guy I saw on pit road. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, since I hadn't been there beforehand, I didn't know I was the only full time guy that had a pit, black guy that had a pit road at the time. So it was almost it was my third year, my third season before I saw another black dude on pit road. Wow. So what kind of challenges did that bring for you in your life when you were doing that? Was there, was it difficult? Was it, did you even notice anything different or? Well, when, when, when you, there's a hundred thousand people around you, you're the only black one there. Or <laughs> black ones, you notice that pretty quick. Yeah, I bet. Um, but it wasn't like, I didn't deal with a lot of stuff that some people probably deal with in certain sports because, you know, you're not going to be on a pit crew if you're not good. Right. And by the time I went there, you know, I already knew the I knew the guys on my team. Like I'd known them for a couple of years already, so we knew each other. So mm-hmm. It's not like they hired some guy off the street they didn't know. We all knew each other. And when you're on pit road, you know, if you can do your job, that's all that really matters. It's kind of like NFL. You know, if you can do the job, everything else is irrelevant. Right. So, you know, there's some jobs where, you know, 
the boss's son gets hired to be the executive vice president, but he don't know his butt from a hole in the ground. Yeah. Or some guy gets promoted because him and the boss went to the same college, but you're better than him, but because they got that connection or nepotism or whatever, it benefits. You know, a lot most of your professional sports aren't like that. If you can't play or if you can't perform, you're gone. Mm-hmm. And so you were doing the NASCAR while you were doing construction still, right? Yep. For, for two years, I worked 37, 37 straight weeks, seven days a week. Because I'd be at the I'd be on my job site Monday through Wednesday. And when I was in truck series, like we would get to the track, we would leave Thursday. And you know, if I stayed that stayed that whole weekend, you know, to maybe do a, a bush race or a cup race or just stayed or whatever, you know, you're there another three, four days. So you're there from Monday, you work to Wednesday, you fly out Thursday, you're there till Sunday night, and you fly back home. You work Monday, you're there till Wednesday, you fly out Thursday. And you just keep doing repeat that process. Yeah. That's that's a long time. So how do you go from being a uh, pit crew uh, jackman to and a construction worker to designing clothes? Well, I used to wear a lot of suits because I had you know by that time you know my my crews were pretty much I had trained them for what I was looking for. We worked enough of the builders enough times where we we had really good cohesion. So I didn't necessarily need to be on the job sites. Mm-hmm. So I would. I would wear a lot of suits. I would go to a lot of meetings. I was trying to build my brand in the area around the business people. So I always had a lot of suits on. Uh-huh. One day, one homeowner said, man, Will, you are just so nice. Could you help me put my wardrobe together? I helped him out. Long story short, I helped him. He liked what I did. He started sending people, referring me to other people. So I started helping them. And I'm like, man, I do, other people trying to take a lot of my time. So I started charging for it. Yeah. And I realized these people are paying me to go tell them what to look for. Go look at. I, I'm again. I'm a country boy from Arkansas. Yeah. We not. We may not pay two hundred dollars on a suit, let alone pay two hundred dollars an hour to have somebody evaluate our closet. So, <laughs> I mean, that just sounded crazy to me, but it worked out. But I said, I'm telling these guys what to go get. If I could provide it, there may be a business in that. Right. So I kind of set an infrastructure up. Really, just kind of not haphazard, but just I love building and planning and putting structured things together. So I put together a whole infrastructure. I said, I'm going to take a shot, see if it works. 14 months later, I did a suit for Calvin Richardson for the Grammys, and he got best dressed on the red carpet. Awesome. So that kind of put you out there, then, didn't it? Yeah, to, to a point, I mean, I realized the value of having PR set up earlier. Because if I had a PR, a PR team, I really could have. I could have used that to really push my name out there a lot more. Mm-hmm. Because that was a 50-second Grammy Award. I mean, at most, only 52 people on earth in history had ever been able to say they did that. And none from North Carolina. Right. So that would have been a big deal. But again, so you're just starting out. You ain't got the kind of budget to hire a PR team. You don't have the money to go do all this other stuff. So you got to just try to do what you can on social media and let them know. Yeah. But that's what social media was easier. If you posted something, all your friends saw everything. Yeah. Now it's that new algorithm just <laughs> So um, what do you think were your unique skills that helped you in helping people dress right, dress nice? Um, well, I just, I just dress like I would dress. Like, uh-huh. you know, that's really a big thing. I kind of look at the personality and try to help dress them to that personality. Because say, cause first when I sit down and talk with you, I want to know what you're looking for and why. Mm-hmm. Because you may be a really introverted person 
but you want to become more extroverted. So, but I need to take you through a process because I can put you in a really dope suit and have you get a whole lot of attention. Right. If you're not, are not used to attention, that could freak you out. Yeah. And now you're, it'll push you further back than you were when I met you. So I may just say, okay, let's put you in a nice shirt, get you a, a cool tie, something small to get, to get you a little bit of attention, but not where it's so overwhelming where everybody's going, oh, that's nice, oh, that's nice, this, where it makes you nervous. And I just kind of take you along in that process. Then we get a little more confident. We take a couple more steps and a little more confident. We take a little more steps and we go from there. Okay, cool. So what's the one thing you wish you knew when you began that would have helped you? Um, I wish I knew before I began. Uh, Something you had to learn or discover that you didn't expect. Um... I don't, I don't know if it's really just one thing. I'm trying, I'm trying to narrow it to one thing, but really just how flaky people are. Really? Because though I'll have people that will set an appointment, you meet with them, go through the whole presentation, they pick out their fabric, you take all the measurements, it's time to swipe the card. They're like, oh, well, um, can we do this you know, next month? Or <laughs> and my money kind of tight, can we do it next week? Or I'm like, if you wasn't ready, why we could have did this? We could have this whole thing a month ago. Yeah, so basically, just waste your time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You went all this stuff, and like you went through the whole process, but then you now suddenly you you don't have the money for it. Like you don't go, you don't go to the mall. You don't go to the grocery store and just go price check, put a bunch of stuff in the back in the cart, find out what it costs, and say I'll come yeah. back next week and buy it. <laughs> you wouldn't go back to that store anymore because they wouldn't let you in. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's crazy. So people, people be really disrespectful of your time. Right. Um, what, what's your favorite memory in related to starting your business? Man, I, now that I can't even, I can't even say just one, man. Because I remember like, you know, I, I got the phone call that, you know, Calvin Richardson, when he said he got best dressed on the red carpet. That was huge. I didn't even know they had something like that. Really? Yeah, I mean, man, I didn't know anything about the Grammys. I didn't watch red carpet shows, um, <laughs> you know, because I never had a desire to be a clothing designer. So I never really, I didn't watch that kind of stuff. Um, then I remember the first time I saw one of my suits on television, you know, the first time I saw one of my suits on a TV show, you know, or just I'm, I'm hanging out with me and D.L. Hughley are hanging out in Atlanta. Chris Rock comes in and I'm literally, I'm stuck in a corner because D.L. and Chris are having a conversation and Chris is talking to me like, like we all just buddies. I'm yeah. like, man, I'm sitting in a corner in a comedy club in Atlanta, chilling with D.L. Hughley and Chris Rock. Like, where does this happen? <laughs> then I'm, you know, next thing I'm, I'm measuring George Lopez for a suit in his dressing room, or I'm in Vegas, I fly out to see a fight, I end up measuring Oscar De La Hoya for a suit. Wow. There's just a lot of really just, just, you know, I remember, you know, having a crush on Eva LaRue, on Eva LaRue from uh -huh. when she's on CSI Miami. I go play George Lopez's golf tournament, and boom, there she is. And like now we're friends. So <laughs> just there's there's like so many, you know, that I can't really just qualify like just one. Yeah. There's so many amazing things, amazing people I've got to meet, the people I've been able to call friends, the relationships I've been able to develop. You know, cats like you, you know, come mm -hmm. out, you know, flying the drone and stuff over my golf tournament. You know, just building those friendships and relationships because to me, it's not about if they're a star, if they're this. It's just meeting people you normally would never meet and developing relationships and developing respect for which just build cool relationships. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's like you're living an adventure where everything's, everything, every day is something brand new and you're not going to expect. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's neat. What uh, What would you say is your biggest failure, and what did you learn from it? Um, my biggest failure was more like the first website I paid for. Mm-hmm. Because like I all our websites before I kind of put done them myself, but I started to get a little traction. You know, so as far as people knew who I was. So okay, now I need to make it about the clothes. But I didn't realize I didn't understand what people I didn't understand what my brand was. Okay. I didn't understand what the value of my brand was to my customers. And Bentley had this really cool website with little spinny things and sliding pictures and all this stuff. I was like. Yo, I would pay this guy $1,200 that I really didn't have to duplicate this website. I would have professional pictures made, everything. I did the website, but at that time, I may have had 50 people on my client list. So I emailed all of them and said, hey, I got a new website, blah, blah, you guys tell me what you think. And everybody was like, man, it's a beautiful website. It's great. If I wasn't already working with you, there's nothing about this website makes me want to come buy clothes from you. And I'm like... <laughs> Like, that ain't what you're expecting to hear. You just right. $1,200 you really couldn't afford to do. And everybody's like, I love the site, but I wouldn't buy anything from you because of this. This doesn't really make me want to come buy from you. So I called someone back and I was like, why? And they said, William, there's nothing about you on the website. It's all, it looks like, this looks like a brand I would go to Nima Marcus and buy. Uh-huh. I'm like, yes. Like, I wanted people to see I'm on that level. He said, but wait, if I want to go to Neiman Marcus, I would just go to Neiman Marcus and buy a suit. They're like, I buy suits from you because who you do work with and the relationship that you and I have. But I can go to the country club and say, hey, you know, see, I can see this guy on television and say, hey, me and this guy got the same tailor. Or here's my tailor in the newspaper. Where's your tailor? Like, I was a brag point for them. So the brand had a personal value to them. Uh-huh. Like, we had friendships and relationships and things like that. So that was a very valuable lesson, but I understood the value of your brand and understanding what your brand meant to your customers. Yeah. Because once you shift that over, if you don't have that kind of relationship, it, you, it, could, it could go bad quick. But because I had a relationship with my clients, we're able to have that conversation. They can say, William, we love doing stuff with you, but this, this website ain't you. This website looks like uh, it's nice. They're like, it's nice, it's fancy. <laughs> Right, but there's no William in this website. Okay, um, one of the things I try to try to convey to business owners in with what I do with my uh, videos and photography and things is for them to develop a brand because somebody like what you did and the mistake you made, they're about just sell the product or the service and not the set, not themselves, not their brand. And what causes people to bond with this with the business owner i think is getting to know the business owner personally and whether you know if it's through a website or a blog or a podcast i think you know it just it opens a new level between the customer and the owner talk a little bit about about brand and how you developed it and what it took and some of the struggles you had yeah i mean that, that's very true because here's the thing about the honest reality about america is we're brand holders we just are. You can you can sell you can sell an American trash if you build a big enough brand to it, mm-hmm. you know. Because most brand, if it's expensive enough, they equate they equate price to expense. Right. Or if you build a brand that you spend enough money in building that brand into, like I always talk about the Lexus ES three thirty or ES three fifty and the Toyota Camry. 
$20,000 price difference, exact same car. You can go buy a Camry, put a Lexus logo kit on it for 300, 400 bucks. You've got a Lexus ES350. <laughs> and you save yourself, you know, $19,700. Yeah. But people will feel good knowing they paid more for this because they equate the brand, the value, and all that together. So, like, in building the brand, like, I had to, I'm not telling anyone, if you're going to build a brand, there's the question you have to be able to answer. What do you want people to set, think when they hear your name? Period. So someone says William Wilson, I want them to think, oh, that's the suit guy. Or that's a cool dude. That's the guy at the domestic violence charity. Like, I want them to always have positive thoughts about it. You know, William Wilson suit. Oh, man. that's Or William Wilson clothing. Oh, man. He he does. He was for D.L. Hughley and the Stars and these football players. And like his stuff is top notch. You know, William Wilson the person. Because now, you know, you really can't put those you can't really separate or it's becoming harder and harder to separate who you are as an individual and your brand mm -hmm. because the, the market is demanding to know who you are. They want to know who they're selling to so or who they're buying from because social media has allowed the, the owners of these small businesses to build a relationship with their customers. So now it's become the norm. Customers want to feel like they know the name on the tag. So especially the younger they get. Right. So it's important that people know who, who I am, like what I stand for. Like, you know, I'm against domestic violence. You know, I'm about treating everybody right. You know, if I see something, if I see police do something wrong, I say the police were wrong in this, but I can also say, you know, but police have a hard job. Not all police are bad. So you know who I am personally, mm -hmm. not just who I am professionally. So that way people really know who you are and this makes it easier. Like I got a phone call today from people in Georgia. This guy, he's getting, they're getting married next July. His father-in-law is like, you got to get your suits from William Wilson. I don't even know who his father-in-law is. Uh -huh. like, I have no idea. And the lady that called me was like their representative. She didn't know. She didn't know the father-in-law's name either. But it's like, hey, man, you came highly recommended. They were like, no, don't go here. You got you to go to, you got to go to William Wilson. So whoever this person is, Apparently, because you know me, you, you see all my social media stuff. Yeah. I say exactly what I think at any given time. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm respectful and stuff, but I'm, you know where I stand, but I back up what I'm saying with statements of fact. Right. I'm just, I don't just, my, my, my posts tend to be long form because I want people to understand. I'm not, I'm not just saying stuff because I heard it somewhere else. Right. This is what I say. And this is how I came up with, I deducted or I deduced that thought process. Yeah. So, but that allows people to know who I am. So people who don't even agree with me, they still respect that. Oh, okay, I see where you, I see where you're coming from here, and they know they can come talk to me, and we can even disagree. And two minutes later, I'm I'm liking something on their post because they did something that was cool. Yeah. So it just builds that personal brand, allows you to build a professional brand. One thing I like um, in following some of your some of the comments in your posts, I see where every once in a while someone will disagree with you, but they still have respect for you, which is really cool. It, you know, they just, they disagree, but they do it in a respectful way and say, well, I don't agree with you, but I still like you. You're still a cool guy. You know? So I think that that's really amazing that, you know, you can do that where so many other people get mad when someone disagrees with them and you're like, well, that's okay. You can't disagree. It's fine. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, you can disagree with somebody because sometimes like, I've always said, I don't want to change your point of view, change your viewing point. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like like this whole right now, all the Confederate statues is a big deal. And people are like, you know, what is this heart of history? This is this. I'm like, history belongs in a museum and in books. Right. Like this one guy, he's like, you know, if you destroy statues, judgment, destroy history because look at the this is and this. And he listed us this whole he listed off this whole like ten different civilizations and stuff like this that you know some of them I'd heard of, some of them I hadn't. And he said, see, all the history is gone. I said, the history can't be gone. You know about it, so the history can't be gone because you learned their history. Right. So, so his, I said, some of their relics and their artifacts may be gone, but the history obviously isn't gone because you still hear about it. So, so but what I said to them, I serve my country. I'm, I'm a veteran. I said, how do you think it feels for me to walk around and look at a big statue of someone glorifying someone that had they lived during this time would beat me like a dog, sell me like property if I were married, rape my wife, and kill me if he just thought I looked at him wrong. But And I got to look at this. I got to look at numerous ones of these where yeah. somebody's basically like, you're glorifying someone who thinks I'm less than human. Why should I have, after serving my country, why should I have to walk around and see monuments of someone who would just as, who fought, who literally seceded from the country, from the from the country, and fought for the right to treat me like an animal, worse than an animal, because people treat their dogs like children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so I'm like, why should I, why should I be subjected to that? You wouldn't ask a you wouldn't ask a rape victim to walk by a statue of the person who raped her. Right. You know, you don't. We don't ask the Jews to walk by statues of Hitler. Yeah. So why should I walk around, walk past statues of Robert Lee Lee? But people say, well, it's part of history. Well, fine. Put it in a museum. Matter of fact, make a Confederate park. Yeah. Or make it a, make a a, um, a Civil War park. Well, that's where it's a historical park. But I shouldn't walk by a federal building that I pay taxes for. That tax money maintains. A statue of someone, like I said, if they were alive today, looked look me in the face, would spit in my face, want to beat me with a whip, and call me all kind of words out of my name and treat me inhumane. Right. Why should I be subject to that? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, well, I, uh, I know you're at your appointment for your haircut, so um, let's move on to what I call a shotgun round. And this okay. is just a round of questions I ask all my interviewers or interviewees and more just for fun and to get to know you a little bit better. If you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say? Do not shave with multi-blade with multi razors. <laughs> because I get keloids now. I get these keloids. And they yeah. came because I started shaving those, those quattro razors. Uh -huh. And black men, like, our hair grows curlier. So made ingrown hairs that turn into keloids. So I, I would tell myself to not use a four blade razor. <laughs> Makes sense. I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, what's the most important thing you've learned in your life? Money's not important. People matter. You know, people always, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what do people think about you when you die? Like when I die, I want people to, I want people to miss me. Yeah. I'll be, if I, if I, if I had to be blessed enough to be popular enough that if, I were to die and my face shows up on a TV screen, I would look at it and go, oh, man, I was at a bus stop. He spent 20 minutes talking to me. Or, man, I was just having a rough time. He gave me the last $20 out of his pocket. Or I want people to say, you know, that I was a good person. You know, the money and stuff isn't as important 
if I die, all they say is he's a good businessman, he made great suits, then I failed. I want people to think of me as a good person. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I like that. And uh, I think you already got that uh, challenge met. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all trying, right. man. Yeah. What's the best compliment you ever got? Um, when people say I'm down to earth, uh, too, like when people say I'm, they meet me because they see the brand and all the stuff they have an, an assumption of who they think I am. And I'm like, then they meet me, it's like, man, this is a real down to earth dude. So that, or when somebody says, man, it's my, one of my goals is to own a William Wilson suit. Mm-hmm. Like to me, for somebody to, to, to not know you and their goal to be able to wear one of your, an item of clothing that you make, that you, that you create is just very humbling and very, very gratifying. Yeah, that's cool. All right, if you could have dinner with any three people, living or dead, who would they be and what would you talk about? Jesus first, because I'd want to know what he thinks about society right now. Mm-hmm. And how, do he, how does he think about the people that call themselves Christian, yet how they treat each other? Um, that'd be one. I want to talk to Dr. King, because given the fact he, he didn't even get, he died before his work could be, before he, he never got a chance to see his work completed. Yeah. So I'd love to see him come back today and see, but let's, let's ask him, are you happy with what you see? How do you feel about what you see now? And number three, the third person. Um, so I've, I met so many people that, that would have already been on that list beforehand. Right. So I've met a lot of them. Um, I would like to talk to someone that first generation post-slavery to see what it was really like then because you're born free but there's still so much you know there's still so many you know yeah. industrial things set aside that were just so messed up or or you know what or maybe abraham lincoln okay to just wonder like what was going on through his mind during all those you know all those things cool cool so um how do people get up with you they want to get in touch and buy a suit or check out what you got um, the easiest way to go to my website williamwilsonclothing.com because all my social media is there or you can just follow me on my Instagram, Twitter pretty much everything is the clothier T-H-E-C-L-O-T-H-I-E-R they just reach out to me there cool and um, just to, to clarify for people who are listening because um, you, you mentioned the celebrities you've got suits for your suits aren't like $20,000 you know you've got other styles and brands that are more price for oh absolutely yeah my, my motto is like I said, i'm a country boy from arkansas yeah when I, when I started william wilson clothing i couldn't afford some of the suits that i sell that i was selling at the time uh-huh. but and i met so many people that were like man i'm gonna get one of your suits one day that it's not my budget right now but i really want to i'm like and i was meeting a lot of people saying that like oh, they really like the brand i need to try to do something to facilitate them yet also maintain to their brand that i have and, but I developed a mantra. I said, I want to get you from college to the corner office. Uh-huh. I want to be a brand that you can grow with. So I've got like my, my off the rack, I found a vendor in California that I can do off the rack suits for like, you know, 200, 300, $400. And then you can start off, go from there to like entry level custom, and just work your way up to custom. You can, you can start off in the William Wilson family with $200. Uh-huh. By the time you finish, you're paying $20,000 for a suit. 
Yeah. It all depends on, you know, what level or just stay whatever level you want to. Yeah, cool. So anybody can get a suit for me. They don't have to, you know, be Donald Bill Gates or. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, that's what yeah, I wanted to make I, I, sure I, I, people knew because, you know, sometimes it gets a little intimidating when you talk about uh, what, you know, D.L. Hughley and, and you know, all the people you know that you do suits for and stuff. And it's like, well, I'll never be able to talk about one of those. But like I said, I didn't exactly. know you had the other line too that come out. So that. Mm -hmm. Like you, saw, like, like you said, getting from college to corporate office. Yeah, college yeah. to the corner office, man. It's, yeah. it's, we, all, we all grow together. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right, William, I appreciate you taking the time. And it was good talking to you again, and we'll have to get together again soon. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on here, man. You're doing sure. a great job. Thank you. So how's that for a story? I first met William while I was producing video for Startup Grind Charlotte, and I would encourage you to check out his interview on their YouTube channel. Every year, he hosts the Clothier Classic Celebrity Golf Tournament that raises money to help the survivors of domestic violence. William is a good man with a golden heart. You can find him all over the interwebs promoting his brand and his causes, so check him out. William really understands the power of brand and how it will help a business grow. You heard him say how people are drawn to him as a person much more than they are to the clothing he sells. That's the power of the internet and how it can help your business grow. William shares his thoughts, beliefs, and ideas constantly on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and other social media. And he has created a bond with his customers who are loyal to him as a person not just to the things he sells. And that is one of the things that has helped him make him so successful as a small business owner. Anyone who runs a small business can become as successful as William has just by utilizing the tools that are out there right now. There's nothing fancy about what he does. He just shares his story with others. As a small business owner, anyone can do the same and grow their business to success. So get out there and get you and your brand known. Septomic Productions can help you by coaching you to do it yourself and teach you how to set up a campaign that utilizes the power of the internet and social media to grow your business. But maybe you don't have the time to prepare content to post that tells your story. Well, that's fine because Septomic Productions will help you create that content and will get your brand out there, get you more customers, and make you more money. Contact Subtomic Productions today and see how they can help you grow your brand and your business. You can get in touch with them by sending them an email at info at subtomicproductions.com. That's info at subtomicproductions, S-E-B-T-O-M-A-C productions, all one word, dot com. Or just call them at 704-899-4696. Thank you all again for listening to the podcast. I hope you got some value out of this and learned some stuff that will help you in life and help you grow your business and continue to listen. Remember rate us in whatever platform you get your podcast, because that helps us grow and gets us more listeners and gets our word out and allows us to help other people. So again, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, have a great day and stay safe.